0: It's all part of the plan, episode 20 of DC Talk here and in get into geek. My name is Mitch, talking all things DC on the big and little screens. What a couple of weeks it has been since our last episode. Uh, we're going to tear into four more episodes of old school DC TV uh, at the end of the podcast, as we do each and every week, but uh, plenty of news to cover since our last episode well, wouldn't it just be our luck that mere days after that last podcast, James Gunn would come out and confirm the all-but-confirmed casting of Nicholas Holt as Lex Luthor. Yes, we pretty much covered it last podcast, and it's been covered over the last two weeks since that announcement was made, but worth touching on, uh, especially because he did add that he hadn't confirmed when all those rumours were flying around about a week earlier, because the deal had in fact not been a sure thing until days before his own announcement. Now, for my thoughts on the Holt as As Lex Casting, check out our last It's All Part of the Plan podcast. Also revealed was Gunn's brother, Sean, as DC businessman and sometimes villain, sometimes good guy, Maxwell Lord, which... Brought on a whole new slew of toxic internet. Like, yes, I get it, Gunn is the supremo of the new DCU, and yes, he did cast his brother, but the chat coming from so many people and the talk that Lord was only just played by Pedro Pascal in Wonder Woman 1984, and what an abomination the casting and Lord's involvement was, which is just hilarious, let's be honest. One, it is a new continuity in the DCU, so shut up. Two, Unconfirmed, but I highly doubt the new DCU is taking place in or around the 1980s, so keeping Pedro Pascal would mean he'd have to age up by at least 40 years. And three, let's not pretend that Wonder Woman 1984 wasn't, for the most part, extremely hated on. I am on the record for liking it. We didn't review it at the time, but I've said since, I saw it early. I thought it was good. High Pitch Maddie, and I enjoyed it. Only to be tsunamied two weeks later when the movie was actually released and uh, what an onslaught that movie copped. But even so, the sudden defence of Wonder Woman 2's continuity and the recasting of Maxwell Lord for Gunn's brother and what a spit in the face it is to the Wonder Woman sequel, Pedro Pascal himself, Zack Snyder's dog... Who the fuck knows? It was laughable. Look, I would be very surprised if we see the DCU's Maxwell Lord played anything like the MCU's Kragland. So if James Gunn has cast his brother, it's less because he wants more of the same, and probably because he either fits what James has done with the character enough, or he's not going to be that big of a character in the first place. And I get it. Gunn said no actor would play more than one character... And yes, okay, technically that was wrong because Gunn will continue to play motion capture characters but like as far as faces on screen go, this is not going against what Gunn said so can we all can we all fight battles that actually are worth fighting guys? Uh, Gunn also touched on the Superman suit over the last couple of weeks someone asked whether there would be trunks and whether or not there would be an S on the back of the red cape which has been missing in live action since Brian Singer's 2006 turn with Superman Returns. Gunn did ...didn't comment one way or another, uh, as if he's going to do that, replying to someone on threads... ...but did say how many versions of the Superman character costume have existed over the last, you know, 80, 90 years... ...so what they're going for at the moment still hasn't been decided on. Probably not the case. The movie is set to shoot in March, but that there is no one single Superman costume to adapt... I mean, let's be fair, there is the classic Superman costume that does have the S on the cape, that does have the red trunks. It's 2023, if they got rid of the S on the cape in 2006 and the red trunks in 2013, we'll see what they go for. But at the same time, I think it would be some kind of flex if they did bring the trunks back. The, the back S... I think by this stage, I could take or leave it. I see the nostalgia of having that there. And it is great to have this giant symbol of Superman on both his chest and his back. But really, as long as the one on the front is there and prominent, I think I could take or leave the back one. It's the trunks, though. I think, you know, what a flex in 2023 when things look as ridiculous and we are going for something as bright of a character as Superman in 2025 when this movie is released. And hopefully we are going for something a little bit brighter in the costume in general. Red Trunks would be a great gamble to take. And of course, by now, Aquaman has started to release around the world. It's been out for four or five days in the United States. Here in Australia, it is opening day, Boxing Day, December 26th. So I have not got the chance to see it. The bad news about the movie's release here in Australia is there wasn't a premiere that I am aware of. Maybe in Sydney there was pre-release, but certainly none. Local to myself, nothing that I was either one, invited to, or two, even aware of, which is a pretty bad sign. Of course, it is the end of the aquaman franchise it is the end of the dceu and with some of the mixed reports coming out pre the movie's release over in the states it looks like warner brothers is just trying to outside of america at the very least let this movie release let it have its run and then forget that they ever existed which is sad in a way i mean the fact that it has gotten to the stage where it's being left to just whimper out and see at its run in cinemas It's a sad state to be in, especially with someone like Jason Momoa, who is so likable as a person and someone who, whether or not it was all an act, certainly seemed to be so invested in his character and in the franchise in general. And I hate the idea that he's been lost to it. I mean, I know Peter Safran, the co-lead of the DCU, says that, quote, Jason Momoa will always have a home at DC. You know, I'm a sports fan. When someone goes and signs with a different team or is let go because of, uh, quote unquote, reasons... That's what you always say. They're always welcome at this club. They'll always have a home at this club. They're locking the doors and that person leaves. Now, surely that's not the case with Jason Momoa, but if they don't automatically and already have a place for him in the DCU, what does that quote even mean? Hopefully by next episode, I will have seen Aquaman 2, and I'm pretty keen to share my thoughts on that one. I didn't hate the first one. It wasn't great, but uh, keen to see what they did with a bonkers sequel and the uh, farewell of the DCEU. Right, back to the journey through the uh, old school DC TV. We're going to be getting pretty close to Creature Commandos now that 2024 is only days away. So we're going to be getting some fresh DC TV content in the new year at some time. But until then, let's go back to the old ones that have since died their own slow death. Batwoman kicks us off Season 2, Episode 15, Armed and Dangerous. Or Armed Suspect, the uh, episode has lived by both titles. As Luke's life hangs in the balance, repercussions from the devastating event are the catalyst for some life-changing decisions for those around him. Well, that's one change to the show's makeup. The Crows are no more. I know I said earlier in this second season's run that it felt very sudden, that the pivot to making the Crows almost a secondary villain. They were always antagonists to Batwoman in Season 1, but that more so acted as an elite police force out to stop a vigilante. They didn't seem like there were bad guys in waiting. Season 2, though, the show has tried to retcon almost their entire place in Gotham as prejudiced, as racist and corrupt. It felt weird, but here we are. Commander Kane is making them pay for their mistakes and ending their existence entirely. Gotham PD has never really played a role in this show either, so it will be interesting to see just what place law enforcement has in Batwoman now that the Crows are gone. Even Agent Tavaroff himself suffered the same turnaround. At first, he just looked like he was going to be a fuck-around-and-find-out, boundary-pushing, next-level cop that the Crows may be needed with all of the shit that had gone down on their watch. Then he, too, very quickly became corrupt and racist. Mostly so that the show could reflect some real-world shit that was going on at the time, let's be honest. But for most of this episode, I felt like the turn was the show having set him up for something bigger than not knowing how to get there so that it just made him a bad guy. That's or he was always going down with the ship. Either way, his run seems to be over, too. One thing that really got my attention, though, was Bruce Wayne. Warren Christie returning to play the actual Bruce Wayne for the first time. Almost. It's funny, Christy has now had a couple of episodes playing the face of Bruce Wayne in this Arrowverse world, but never the real one. First, he was Hush in a mask, and here he was Bruce Wayne in Luke's subconscious only. You could argue that this was the real Bruce, as he was formed by Luke's memories of the real guy, but still, no, technically, not the real Bruce. Even so, using him over well, I mean, almost anybody else, seems like it should be for a reason. Is Christie set to come back again? I would never think to play actual Bruce Wayne or Batman long-term, but still, maybe something. Ruby Rose 2 also appears, if only in photograph form, of course, with Alice proposing a team-up with Daddy Kane to hashtag Bring Kate Home. Again, the show doubling down on teases that Kate is coming back. And I guess that works as a show to an audience if your core audience isn't already an online audience where they don't know the the behind-the-scenes stuff, which, of course, they are, and, of course, they do. And on Luke, he survived, and now with a backstory to become... Whatever he becomes next. I've not seen it yet, of course, but I do know a little bit, a lot, a little bit. So this story certainly helps to have set that up. What's next? Oh, great. Uh yeah. um, Legends. <laughs> Season 6, Episode 5, The Satanist's Apprentice. Astra gets a chance to learn real magic while Sarah meets Bishop and learns what he intends. You know, I've mentioned before that I'm watching these shows in their release order and that's not only week to week but also episode to episode. And after Batwoman, I went off to Fire and after Batwoman I went to fire off the Flash only to find that it was actually Legends instead and I was so disappointed. And I really felt like skipping so much of this episode, even thinking maybe I don't need Legends anymore a few times throughout this episode. I don't need to cover it on the podcast anymore. I know that all of these shows have seen their run by now, but I'm still keen to finish them and to sort of see where their journeys went and how they ended, how early the writing was on the wall and all that sort of stuff. It's just that this show really is a show where anything goes and it doesn't seem like anything Matters. Olivia Swan gets to lead an episode, and it's it's actually funny watching her here as Astra compared to what I'm currently watching her in, which is the uh, leading role in NCIS Sydney. Very different characters, but um. Very, very different worlds. This episode just didn't progress the story any further. I think that's my main gripe. Yes, Astra having magic powers or Constantine having depleted his is likely of playing a part as the season goes on. But but considering we've spent the season trying to reunite Sarah and the Legends, we didn't get much here beyond what would have otherwise been a first act story beat the ep went about as wacky i reckon as this show has ever gone either to really have fun do stuff that live action couldn't do on the cheap or just to save money in general either way the show went disney animator there for a while and it was it was a choice to be honest i didn't hate it i was not completely against it but i did think by this stage the show has set me up to expect absolutely anything so nothing really moves the needle if any other show did this even in the arrowverse i would be picking my jaw up off the floor legends honestly didn't skip a beat for superman and lois season one episode nine loyal subjects lois chrissy and clark team up to piece together the significance of smallville to morgan Edge And boy, didn't things really move along by the end of this episode. Not that I haven't enjoyed the pace so far. I think I've actually made a point about that a number of times. But the ending sees Morgan Edge not only reveal himself to not be of Earth, but boasting superpowers after having created another dozen or so souped up minions. Now in some ways this episode moved and threw stuff out like a lot of the previous shows. There was though still time to see some of the slower family moments but things really stepped up when thinking about the end game of the season which worried me for a second considering we're already at episode 9 but then I remembered that season 1 is only 15 episodes long. Actually that's as long as this show goes season to season anyway. Seasons 1 and 2 both run 15 episodes each. Season 3 only for 13 and the upcoming fourth and final season will run for just 10 and it was also some news over the last two weeks of the cw uh listing some of their 2024 premiere dates when i say there was some news the news is that there was no news on superman and lois this show could be back by the end of january doesn't look like that but uh, it will be back sooner than later it's something i've been wanting though for uh, for these cw shows for years 22 episodes Way too long if you're not going to break it up into two mini-seasons. But 15 seems good if you're going to breathe at the pace of Superman and Lois. Now, I don't know much about the Morgan Edge character, so I have no idea where this is going beyond the warnings of fake Luther and all of these other soups running around, and potentially Superman got a little dark So, On top of Edge, though, Kyle Cushing goes up from annoyance to twist-ending souped-up villain, although that's likely to go the way of an emotional in with the villains and Carl will never really go dark side, not while he's got Lana and the kids at home. General Lane too, following on from last episode's use for kryptonite gas on Superman, Clark, he's sick, Jordan's sick, and Lane is having to pay for his mistakes and Lois tells him to get effed. Edge reveals himself, Carl levels up, Lane gets an ultimatum. The episode really moved some chess pieces, even Edge's obsession with Smallville, a lot of reveals in this episode. Which would make more sense if this was a mid-season finale, that the show was wanting to reset the status quo so that after the break, the season could really ramp up towards its end, but it's not. And on top of that, just some great Superman moments. Him hearing a robbery all the way from Mexico, which you've got to hope as a viewer is just a case of us finally getting to see something that happens off screen a lot, rather than Clark finally tuning into something he says he always is. And Jordan's sickness too, sneezing out freeze breath and Kryptonite literally turning his lungs to ice, forcing them to burn it out at the fortress. Superman-only stuff, you love to see Yes, The Flash, Season 7, Episode 12, Goodbye Vibrations. Cisco and Camilla tell the team they are leaving Central City. Barry, Iris and Caitlin don't have much time to digest the news, though, because a new version of Rainbow Raider strikes, and the OG Team Flash must join together one final time. So finally, here we are, the Cisco finale. Not in a celebration, finally, type way, just that I really left my watch on a cliffhanger a few months ago, the last time I saw a Flash episode, and it really felt like a a weird mixed bag choice, but I think I slowly got around it as it went on. One half of it, it's this sad, nostalgic goodbye to an OG of the show, which comes across in a way that no goodbye to anyone any of the wells ever did this feels a lot more final now number one no wells lasted seven seasons and number two i'm sure that by the end of the show's nine seasons cisco will be back at some point that's just the way that these things happen narratively as a tv show even if not in real life but the other half is this silly villain of the week story i did come to respect it on some level that the uh, creators just said screw it let's go out with a bang and go a little bit more old school flash one that would have really felt like a filler in in seasons one or two where they could just sort of break the tension of uh, the building big bad and just have a little bit of fun for 42 minutes but it did feel like a weird choice to do that even saying goodbye to a character that has been there from the start I think by the end though it it had a good feeling about it I think uh, saying goodbye to Cisco. It 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 had those feels. If you have been watching the show from day one, as I have, as many of you I'm sure have or had as well, I think it felt right by the end of it. I felt like though they did try a little bit too hard to make it just about the the core three or the core four, not to reference Scream there, of the show with uh, Iris and Barry and Cisco and Caitlin only. There were a couple of key moments there between Chester and Cisco that I felt like you know could have been just as meaningful, but the writers write in this dialogue that makes Chester seem like a bit of an arsehole. Here he was, Sisko, about to say his final goodbye to the cast of characters that we come to know on the show and the show itself. And he hands over to Chester his uh, his bag of goodies, his toys, his equipment, his, uh, his laboratory. And Chester is so taken by all of this new equipment that he even says to Cisco, yeah, I'm just going to stay here and go through this stuff rather than come and say goodbye to you properly like everybody else. And again, this is the show just trying to make sure that we only got Iris, we only got Caitlin, we only got Cisco and Barry in a room together and a little bit of Joe as well just to have the main characters say goodbye to each other. But to make Chester seem like an arsehole, where he now is going to become the new Cisco, I, 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 I don't know how I feel about that. This is the episode we had to have by now. I mean, Cisco looks like he's been trying to say goodbye for a while, and hell, maybe even the actor as well. I dare say that Carlos Valdez is leaving the show, not because of a narrative reason, but because he wanted out of the show. and you know, by the time we're getting around to where even a synopsis is saying a new version of a particular bad guy, we have done six and a half seasons of this show right now. We're starting to not only repeat storylines, but repeat characters just with a new brand of paint or a new gender thrown on them. It's I can understand why a character or an actor in particular would want to leave the show again I don't think this is the last we see of him but we might not see him again until I don't know mid to late season 9 if he comes through at the end of season 7 to help Barry stop the big bad I'd be very surprised and kind of let down by that it wouldn't be as bad as the Wells returning an episode after they seemingly died off but it still would feel like a bit of a cheap goodbye to have spent an entire episode saying bye to this guy only to have him come back at the end of the season bring him back in two and a half seasons time when we say goodbye to the show that's all for dc's it's all part of the plan here and get into geek hopefully again like i said by the end of uh, the next episode i will have seen aquaman and the lost kingdom give my thoughts on that movie as uh, it continues to underperform around the world will be interesting to see how it uh, performs at the australian box office it's just not going too well over in the states which is bringing out another toxic side of the internet already over the course of november with the marvels releasing we had people actually Absolutely tearing shreds off that movie because of how badly it was performing at the box office compared to its budget or compared to its expectations. And now everyone is fighting because Aquaman is not receiving as much negativity. And what does that mean? How sexist the internet is, as if that is entirely a surprise to people on there so hopefully the movie does all right it doesn't really mean anything one way or another at this point superman legacy is going into production in march creature commandos is coming out in 2024 so we've got animated we've got live action dcu content on the way the dceu is dead at this point back for next episode enjoy your dc until then and you know what go see aquaman what have you got to lose get into geek